Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 127, The Schizoid Man. Welcome in to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm the brilliant, lovable, humble, and delightful John Champion. Okay, anything else? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Just that to know me is to love me, and to love me is to know me. Be done. Not really. I figured uh, this is my big chance. You know, get it all on tape. Okay, you're so, done. It, <laughs> Seriously, well, you're, you're, you're finished. I, you know, it, I'm thinking, though, unless this is your Tashi Yar moment. I mean, mm, if, yeah, 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 it could be. <laughs> this could is what be. you're doing. Right. This is your farewell to the troops, as it were. <laughs> um, uh, today's episode, The Schizoid Man. Oh, we are all excited, by which I mean me. <laughs> yeah. I thought about that, Ken. I, I thought maybe that this was a show that I could just sit out. This is a but, show. Well, no, I'm going to need you to hold me back a little bit later. Oh, really? Okay. There's a All minute right. or two where I got a little, uh, where I got a little, but uh, but we can talk about that a bit later. And if people want to talk to us about this later or other stuff later or some stuff earlier, if they know some neat temporal tricks, there are ways that they can get in touch with us. Would you like to tell people, John, or shall I? Sure, I'll tell them. Uh, all you need to remember is really just one phrase, Mission Log Pod, because you can find us there at Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, Mission Log Pod. Um, or, barring that, you could call us, 323-522-5641. You could even put fingers to keyboard and email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, you can also visit us at our show website, including discovered documents and other great content, missionlogpodcast.com. Com. And please remember, we may use your comments in an upcoming episode of Mission Log. There's another thing that people can send us if they want to, and I know you kind of groove on this. Mm-hmm. A little bit of trivia. Ooh, I love trivia. I know you do. In fact, you may, I don't know for certain, but you may have prepared a little bit of trivia for today's show. I got a little. Okay. Um, Ken, do you know the show The Prisoner? I am aware of the show The Prisoner. Okay. The I, don't, Prisoner... I don't know it. The Prisoner is one of the coolest shows ever made. Okay, that's what um, I, I hear. Yeah, let me just get that out there to start with. The Prisoner is one of the coolest shows ever made. Ran one season. Uh, it was the brainchild of British actor Patrick McGowan. He had done a show before uh, called Secret Agent. And uh, The Prisoner is kind of a weird take on what happens after you're a secret agent. Well, where do you go? How do, how do they handle you when you know state secrets? Do they just, you know maybe send you off to some mysterious island where uh, they mess with your identity and mess with your head. Well, that is exactly what they did in the show, The Prisoner. And uh, it's bizarre, it's mod, and uh, the title of this particular episode of Star Trek, The Schizoid Man, is the title of episode five of The Prisoner. And Mm. it was specifically done that way because they had hoped to get Patrick McGowan on to play the role of Dr. Graves. Um, Apparently, they had gotten somewhat far along in the negotiation to get him, and whatever it was that happened at the last minute, they could not get him for this role. But that role was originally written for him. Now, in the episode of The Prisoner called The Schizoid Man, a little bit different, you have Patrick McGowan as number six, but you also have Patrick McGowan playing a lookalike called number 12. 
Hmm. So you'll have to check that out to see what happens in the original Schizoid Man. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is the Schizoid Man? What do we mean when we say the Schizoid Man? And actually, uh, Schizoid Personality Disorder is a thing, and uh, that can be typified by certain symptoms uh, described as long-standing detachment from social relationships, difficulty with emotions. Uh, people who have this are seen as loners, are seen as being solitary. Um, they often show emotional coldness. It's estimated that between 3 and 5% of the world's population would have this disorder, primarily shows up in men. But I wanted to get that out of the way because we may have some discussion about the the guest lead role in this, Dr. Graves, and uh, what would define him as being schizoid and what personality disorder he is suffering from. Now, the story was written by Richard Manning and Hans Baimler, uh, but Tracy Torme actually wrote the teleplay. And it's interesting to point out the original idea was called Core Dump. And it had the crew of the Enterprise being very much aware of Dr. Graves' plan to uh, uh, move his consciousness into a computer. Now, Torme had a different story he had been working on in which Data would express personalities of two men that he knew on the planet where he was created. We had talked about that, the planet of colonists mm-hmm. and uh, the crystalline entity, which, of course, wiped them out. And uh, he stores memories of those people. So he would have been expressing personalities of two of those people. And then those latent personalities surface when he is in the presence of a woman that they both loved. Now, when the story was purchased, Torme May was assigned to write it, so he put in some of his ideas into the original story by uh, Manning and Baimler. You know, until you mentioned it, we totally mm-hmm. forget that whole thing, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, the data is actually made up of the personalities of, of, of the colonists. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, we just, yeah, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's like, good. Yeah, that's good my call out. that's yeah. my imitation of the writers on I I guess after the first season, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, isn't Data made up of a bunch of personalities? This, yeah, no, no, nobody will remember. Never that. mind. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, look at us. I I totally forgot. I mean, you didn't. Yeah. But wow. <laughs> now, some uh, guest appearances we need to mention. Uh, Susie Plaxon as Dr. Salar. This is her only appearance in Star Trek as that particular character, but she most certainly comes back to Star Trek. We will see her again. And she appeared in several episodes of Mad About You. I know a show that you love, Ken. Where she also played a doctor. Yes, she did. Yes, she, she did. was the, uh, she was the uh, OBGYN that they saw when they, uh, when they got mm-hmm. pregnant in later seasons. Yeah. yeah. It is crazy how much of that show that I retain. <laughs> well, I, again, you know, our other podcast, after right. Moonlighting, After, after Man moonlighting. of Steel. Yes, After Man of Steel. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what else. There were a couple others that we're supposed to do, aren't there? Oh, uh, Kolchak. Well, Kolchak, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. All right. Yeah, we're going to need to actually move ourselves to robot bodies just to cover all the podcasts we're planning on doing, you know. We will. Yeah. We will. All right. Uh, the character of Corrine was played by Barbara Allen Woods. She had a lot of TV under her belt, still working very frequently. And uh, she was a regular on the TV version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and also on the show One Tree Hill. So possibility that you've seen her on one or both of those. And uh, finally, William Morgan Shepard as Dr. Ira Graves. Now, his background was in theater, then on to TV and film. He appeared, of course, in Max Headroom, yeah. um, both the original and the full series as Blank Reg. You're yes. a fan. Oh, I love yeah. Blank Reg. Blank Reg is like, 
he's he is like okay so to the max headroom world blank reg is to that what like uh podcasters are to earth mm. i think because there's you know there's all the crappy corporate whatever mm-hmm. right media yeah. that's that's being shoved on people both in max headroom and here right and then blank reg had like a truck mm-hmm. <laughs> and he right. just he just like broadcast whatever was handy basically yeah. like i remember one time he played in one episode he played like this one video 23 times over and and people were fine with it and you know i, I actually i think well actually i think he would be a good network programmer today sadly but um, yeah probably so yeah yeah love blank yeah. reg love but good 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 comparison you know so as podcasters just every week we are sticking it to the man Word. Uh, that's what we're doing um he also appeared in doctor who and we have seen him once before in star trek uh when he was the prison guard of Rurapente in star trek six oh, and when right. i say we i mean in in our uh, journey here of doing mission log if you're going by strict chronological order well you still have a couple of years before you will see him in that role um we will see him again in upcoming shows and he actually had an uncredited role in jj abrams star trek in 2009 yes he was the uh, vulcan science officer yes he was very good very good now, and as, as we record this i believe he's in his early 80s yeah. But seriously, if you go back through his career, the guy has never looked a day under 60. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and like Max Headroom, as of this recording, we're talking about nearly 30 years ago. Ah, dude. Yeah. My sciatica. My joints. <laughs> Look what you just did to me. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. A couple other guest appearances that uh, I'm sure that you picked up. Uh, Tasha Yar and Remick. Yeah. If you look closely, got to uh, got to get uh, revisited by them, and um, the the computer that encodes uh, Doctor Graves. Uh, I found it very interesting that on some of those screens, if you freeze frame, uh, you get a bunch of nonsense. But so you, you also get like uh, codes for hydrocarbons and uh, uh, proteins and acids. So, uh, in fact, a lot of uh, biological information in that computer that now contains the good doctor's information. It is as the song says, when you're in love with a beautiful woman, you know it's hard. This is especially true when you are 97 years older than she is, and kind of a jerk, and never even tell her. Well, until you take over the body of another sentient being. Let us have John tell us more. Prologue. Dr. Pulaski brings us into the story this week. The Enterprise is headed to answer a call from the assistant of the brilliant Dr. Ira Graves. Seriously, the man is brilliant. Everybody knows it, and everybody is worried what might be the problem. In his quarters, Data has gone full Riker. Yeah, in an attempt to fully experience humanity, Data calls in his friends Jordy and Deanna to see his newly grown beard. It's a little too much for Deanna to handle. She leaves while laughing. Arriving at Graves' world, yeah, the man is so good he just named a planet after himself. Another message arrives from the young woman who is his assistant. She's worried. She begs for immediate help. But that's all. Since it's just her and the doctor on the planet alone, what could be the problem? Act 1. Not to make things more difficult, but who are we kidding? Things get more difficult. A new distress call comes in from the Constantinople, a ship transporting colonists and now experiencing a hull breach. Riker suggests leaving a small team at Graves World while the Enterprise takes off to help the Constantinople. 
One make it so later, and Data, Worf, Niana, and a Vulcan, Dr. Salar, are beamed down while the Enterprise is at near warp. A bit of a tricky maneuver, but everyone is fine. A young woman introduces herself as Karine Brian. She was the one who sent the message, and she explains that Dr. Graves' condition is urgent. He's temperamental, agitated, and failing health. In walks Dr. Graves, and he is... He's kind of a pain. He's all of those things for sure, and he's also kind of a jerk to his uninvited guests. Except Deanna. He kind of likes her. He's also intrigued by Data, since Graves knew Dr. Sung. While getting to know the android, Dr. Salar informs him of the bad news. He has Darnie's disease. It is terminal, and he is in the final stages. Act 2. In case you were worried about the people on board the Constantinople, don't be. Picard lets us know that they are all fine. Now the Enterprise is on its way back to Graves' world. Data and Dr. Graves are getting to know each other. Graves insists that Data calls him Grandpa. It's familiar, and after all, Graves taught Dr. Soong everything he knew. Graves takes the opportunity to size up Data. He's a thinking machine, but he's lacking something. Desire, a sense of mortality, a certain drive. Maybe it's heart. And Dr. Graves relays a bit of Wizard of Oz for those of us who don't get it after sharing the tune of If I Only Had a Heart with Data. Meanwhile, Deanna is getting to know Corrine. What Corrine apparently didn't know, but Deanna sees plain as day, is that Dr. Graves has seriously got the hots for her. Yeah, that would never work out. He's an old man, she's young, and just not interested. Dr. Graves shares the nature of his research with Data because why not? The machine he's been working on is a device by which he can transfer his consciousness, his intellect, into electronic form. It's a way for him to cheat death, as it were. The Enterprise has achieved orbit of Graves' world and ready to beam up the away team. There will be one fewer than anticipated, though. Data makes the announcement. Dr. Graves is dead. Act 3. Data shares his experience with the captain. There was no time and really no point to alerting Dr. Salar about Graves finally dying. There was nothing more to be done. Data just wants to make sure that there's going to be a funeral for the late Dr. Graves. In 10 forward, Data finds Kareen. She's distracted in mourning, but he tries to console her. In fact, it's a bit too personal the way he talks about her and Dr. Graves. He lets her know that she was everything to Dr. Graves. Later in the transporter room, the remains of Dr. Graves are in a torpedo tube as a memorial service takes place. After a few words from the captain, Data gets up and... Well, if the conversation with Corrine was weird, this is just bizarre. He goes on and on about Graves as a paragon of intellect and humanity until Picard shuts him up. Picard asks Data about his strange behavior. And maybe it was just a fluke of his programming combined with the influence of Dr. Graves. Well, that's what we could chalk it up to. If Data then didn't leave the bridge while whistling, if I only had a heart. Act 4. The whole thing still isn't sitting right with Picard, and he asked Deanna for her take on it. She's concerned too, but maybe it is just a fluke. The grandfather analogy may have just fired something in Data's programming. On the bridge... That fluke is now acting like a total jerk to Wesley. Data puts the young ensign in his place by relaying his own intellectual superiority. And as much as we may like to see Wesley taken down a peg, this just isn't right. Crean is brought onto the bridge by Picard, and now Data turns his attention to him. Muttering under his breath, Data is showing quite a bit of jealousy. 
then it's not so much under his breath when Data announces directly to Picard that he just knows he's making the move on Kareen. Um, Data, the captain will see you now, privately. Picard has lost patience with whatever is going on. He wants Data to be checked out to make sure he is functioning normally, and Data obliges by running the test on himself. See? Totally normal. Nothing to worry about here. Picard is not buying it, because who would? In engineering, after a more thorough test, Jordy reports to the captain that there is nothing wrong with Data. Deanna sees this for what it is. It's not his physical health that is the problem. There's something going on mentally that needs to be addressed. She takes him to a computer where he is presented with images flashing in rapid succession. It's kind of a recap of season one, but Deanna is there to judge his emotional reaction to the images. She reports back to the captain. Deanna can tell that there are two personalities, very distinct, taking up room in Data's body. The dominant personality suits Dr. Graves to a T, kind of a jerk, jealous, paranoid, brilliant, and this personality is taking over, squeezing out the Data we know. Act 5. Arriving at Starbase 6, the plan is to drop off Kareen so she can go back to Earth. Data, meanwhile, is intent forward with her and finally lets her in on what we've known all along. Data isn't really Data at this point, but rather Ira Graves' intellect and personality in android form. Just look at him. Nearly immortal, fully functional. And guess what? He can make an android for her, too, so that Kareen doesn't have to grow old either. She's a bit freaked out by this and rejects his proposal. Leaving Ten Forward, Graves and Data's body heads to engineering. Picard finds him there. Graves makes the case that as a man, his rights outstrip those of a machine. Picard says that Data is different, but a life form nonetheless. Graves has lost control. He physically hurt Kareen while holding her hand. In engineering, he's hurt Geordi and another crewman. This experiment has failed in Picard's eyes, and Graves must leave Data's body. Graves isn't taking it too well. He lashes out at Picard, knocking him unconscious like the others on the same deck. Seeing that he can't control himself, Graves asks, how many more accidents? Data's body is in a computer lab, seemingly asleep. When woken, he's back to being his old self. Kareen notices that in the computer nearby, the program running is Graves. It's his intellect, now in a more benign computer form, available in both Mac OS and iOS versions for mobile computing. Kareen leaves, and Dr. Graves' intellect has been retained by the Enterprise computer. Not to worry, though. Anything that might have had a personality was lost in translation. The end. All's well that ends. <laughs> it just ends. Yeah. Nice, nicely done. So, oh, thank you. so I guess the, 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 the key takeaway for me, and forgive me, I'm going to jump straight to the end for this one oh, part okay. anyway. Go right ahead. The key takeaway for me is I have to be sure and get myself into a robot body before I go nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, if yeah, I do it do. once yeah. I go nuts, then I'm just a nutty robot. Yeah. Is that and, right? Uh, well, you know, maybe we are jumping too close to the end. But, are we really? Because um, I wasn't well, planning to. That was just, I was just kidding. We can talk about well, it later no, if you want to. No, but I think this is important to know. I, I think the important thing is that if you move your intellect, whether it's the sane Ken or the insane Ken, and hey, who, who are we to judge which is which? <laughs> as long as you're not displacing another personality by doing it. Oh, that's a whole different. Then you're okay. That will actually, that we are going to talk about later. Okay, good. I found that fascinating. But good. yeah, let's come back to it. Did you notice that effect at the top of the show? 
Um, so first of all, I like that Dr. Pulaski opened the show. It was just good to hear a different voice other than Picard. Um, I don't understand why. I, I like the fact that we had a different voice, but what I really liked is the effect. She's walking down the corridor, reverse shot, and you see people in the corridor. It's a green screen shot. It's a process shot. But then when they reopen the turbo lift door, she's on the bridge. Yes. So they actually did a series of cuts there with a green screen to make it to give the effect of having this uninterrupted journey from a corridor to the turbo lift onto the bridge. Really, really well done. It's a nice effect. I like that quite a bit. Yes. The part that confused me and this this kind of goes back to and now I, either I feel bad for noticing this or I feel bad for giving you so much grief about worrying about it a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. So so we have the whole beginning with Worf and Riker and the holodeck. And mm-hmm. well, this is going to say something important about, you know, Worf. And no. <laughs> right. And so this right. week we've got Dr. Pulaski opening up. And she's like, oh, we're going to Graves Planet. It's going to be, you know, a Graves World. Excuse me. For all your Graves needs. Yeah. We're going to Graves World, and, and he's he's like smart and important, and we got to get there, and we're going to try to save him. And, oh, wait, I'm sorry. i got to go. But I'll tell you what. Everybody everybody else, <laughs> you stay here. And and Pulaski, once again, is practically not in this episode. Yeah. It yeah. was kind of weird to start. I mean, I figured this was going to be a Pulaski episode when we started watching it, you know, because, it, well, we're leading with her. So. Right. Nope. Which, given her relationship with Data up until now, would have been very interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's a little unfortunate that we did not get that storyline. Her actually in his uh, quarters or in the computer room or whatever it was at the very end was mm-hmm. actually a little confusing to me. Yeah. Right? Because Picard yeah. and Kareen and uh, Jordy and Pulaski, for some reason, go to check on Data. And I, mm-hmm. I, I could see, you know, like them going and her being like, yeah, no, I've got reading to do or something else, you know, <laughs> that I care about because you guys are going to go check on the toaster. Yeah. And right. so the fact that she was right. there and, and seemingly happy that, you know, because we haven't seen much. Well, with the exception of um, with the exception of the Sherlock Holmes adventure, we right. haven't seen much interaction. We've seen no interaction, I think, between them since then. Yeah, no, it's very true. We haven't. Yeah, and, and this would have really been a position to give her an ethical dilemma, kind could of a, a problem. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, could have could have been a lot of things though. Yeah, we didn't get that story. <laughs> um, but hey, but what we did get. Yes, we got Data with a beard. He looks good with a beard. Yeah, I thought. Um, but I thought it was also just kind of a, a a clever thing from the point of view of the production because obviously Jonathan Frakes coming back with the beard, the Riker beard, was such a big deal. Yeah. So why not just sort of acknowledge that and throw one on uh, throw one on Data too? Are they making fun of uh, Are they making fun of um, Frakes at that point? Well, I, see, here's the thing. I didn't necessarily get it as making fun. I just took it as acknowledging that it was a big deal that he got a beard. All right. That, that fans, some fans probably loved it. Some fans probably hated it. And they probably got way more mail than okay. was necessitated by the addition of a beard. So, so was he like in there with crepe hair and liquid latex and doing that? Or does he have another face that he can put on? Or does Data <laughs> actually have the ability to like grow and shrink his hair and facial hair as he sees fit? That would be pretty cool, right? Well, I'm it trying was, to figure out what it was. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was a nice beard. It was a well. Yeah, it was it was a reminiscent of Reva's beard, actually, mm-hmm. a little bit more you know a little bit more close than that. Yeah, than Reva's beard. But of course, Reva's beard, I imagine, was actually real to the actor. Whereas, right. whereas right. <laughs> Spiner did not crank out that beard from week one to week two, or from no. last week to this week. 
No, no. But um, well, and then replicators it's all gone can do by the anything. time he, it's all gone by the time he gets to Graves World too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it's got to be either something in his makeup mm-hmm. or. Or it's got to be something you can just replicate. You can be like, I want a turkey sandwich or I want the full Riker. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you say the full Riker, by the way, it sounds dirty. That's why I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. It makes me, makes me want to go make some green memories. Yeah. Oh, hey. That's yeah. what we call the callback. That is what we call that. Well done. Um, we have a Vulcan. You must have been as excited about that as I was. We have a named Vulcan. Yeah. We have a named Vulcan who speaks. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking the last one of those that we had was the one that ended up being stuff on the transporter past in the motion picture? <laughs> I think you're right. I think I think that was actually the last time we had a named Vulcan that was yeah. not. I mean, that was not Spock because we saw Commander Spock. Well, Sonak. Yeah. Well, yeah, Sonak. Thank you. Because well, yeah. um, no, I take it back. We did have one more since then. It was um, come well, on. We had Savic. Savic. Thank you. It was Kirstie yeah. Alley is what I was yeah. going to say. We had Savic, and then we had Valeris. Now that I think about it too. So mm-hmm. never mind. Yeah, it's the first one in quite a while, though. Yeah. Well, Valeris yeah. may have been Romulan. So, you know, in a different script. What? She was, yeah. Well, you know. Well, and, and uh, well, yeah. then we're talking actually about Vulcans and half Vulcans, aren't we? Ah, Savic was, was the full Vulcan, wasn't she? It, yeah, but it, it had been considered that there was a whole uh, uh, Romulan background yeah. to yeah. her. Yeah. We just, we'll, we'll go, but we'll re-record that show. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. The full Vulcan, by the way, does not sound as dirty as the full Riker. I don't know what that no, is. No, not at all. Yeah. I so I got a question, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think it—I don't think it merits discussion, and that's why I'm mm-hmm. doing it here instead of uh, in the actual discussion part. Was there yeah. any point of the near warp transport? Was it just needless drama? Was it you know fake sciencey stuff? I mean, there was there were so many things here again, and maybe and, and maybe it's part of like trying to fill out a show, like trying to make it sound like wow, we we live in a real world now, as opposed to just we're doing a 48 minute teleplay, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a whole thing like where Riker's like, oh, by the way, it's going to get a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Troy's like, what? And yeah. then they just go ahead and do it to her anyway, which, by the way, totally uncool. Yeah, and then right, and then she right. dematerializes or rematerializes. And she's like, wow, for a minute there, I thought it was in that wall. And, and you know, uh-huh. and Warp says, well, for a minute you were. Well, not a minute, but, you know, for a moment. Yeah. For a moment you were. And it's sort of like, so are we going to talk about this? No. It, yeah, I, I just my note on that was what? How, how can you say that and not come back to it? Right? How can you do that? And also, how can you be such a jerk as to say, "Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, this is going to freak you out." Well, wait, what's going to what's what's going to freak? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, We're not, just going to go ahead and do it anyway because it's your job and you don't get to have any say in it at all. Right. But because but, I kept thinking, you, we've established very well that the Enterprise can go and the Enterprise can stop. <laughs> So, so you know, it really, yeah. it, you know, given a bri- binary proposition like that, the Enterprise can stop. Yes. You can beam them down. Right. And then the Enterprise can go. Because here's the question. Were they traveling at maximum warp already? No. Because if they weren't traveling at maximum warp, then you can go ahead and let's say, okay, well, we're at warp five right now. Let's go ahead and pull mm-hmm. up to Graves World. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we'll, we'll go at warp, I don't know, six. Eight, right. nine, right. maybe we can we can go. There are all kinds of warps we can go, so that we don't have to risk everybody's life sending right. them down there. Right, right. Well, any more than you yeah. normally do, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right. So um, let's talk about the disease a little bit that uh, Doctor Iyer Graves has. So that's why I mentioned that in the um, 
in the trivia the schizoid disorder schizoid personality disorder is a thing mm-hmm. and that is a thing that could potentially make him act like an antisocial jerk so it's not it's not specifically the disease that he is suffering from that is about to end his life darney's disease yep. um, that is making him act like that because originally that's what i thought i just kind of wrote an eye oh okay this is a disease that just makes him a terrible terrible person no i think we can easily establish that he pretty much always is a terrible terrible person or at least difficult to deal with um and now the disease is just sort of compounding that. You think that's what it is? Because, I mean, we do get the sense from Corrine that um, it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. she didn't call them because of his coughing, right? He's coughing right, right, and he's right, having right. a tremendous amount of pain every time he coughs and he's, you know, tired. But she calls them because he's being, you know, kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. That's a nice word, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the nicest one it's I can think of. For yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah. so he, she gets in touch with them because he's being this kind of reprehensible individual, and yet we do get the sense that he is just kind of this reprehensible individual again, unless you know the Darnies, Darine, Dur- what? No, the oh, Dar- the Darnies, Darnies, Darnies yeah. syndrome or Darnays or whatever yeah, it yeah. is, uh, yeah. Dijonais. The uh, yeah. the thing, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I mean, yeah. unless that is actually making him sort of a jerk, which goes back to what I was saying about be sure you uh, transfer yourself into your robot body before you become, you know, insane. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the thing that was well thought out for him is uh, to have data deliver the eulogy. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was pretty great. You know, the sort of the desire to attend your own funeral. He gets to play that out. Um, so that's kind of fun. And and I thought that, you know, for a guy who it's interesting that, that he has this personality disorder and he also has this disease that is making him impossible to be around. Um, but he also gets his own planet. Where he can live like a jerk, right? Right. So it makes me think that, you know, ego is a thing that must be pretty well in check in the 24th century. Like if you're an obnoxious jerk and you've got an ego out of control, you're probably not going to live among people who don't have that and and actually need you to get along with them. So like, let's say you're a member of a Starship crew and you actually have to work together and live together and, and be respectful of each other. Um that's not a good job for a guy like this. But what is a good job is that he becomes a research scientist on his own planet. <laughs> and he can just be away from everybody. <laughs> you know? I have no idea how to respond to that. I'm confused. Okay, there's, mm-hmm. well, there's, there's stuff about him that I don't really get, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, I love how mean he is to Data when he first sees him. What is it? Yeah. Absolutely no aesthetic value at all. You look right. like the work of Dr. Song. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of funny. But so so why is it that this guy is Okay, so Sung had said that he's going to build a robot, right? Mm-hmm. An android. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He's going to build an android and then I think he like failed at his first attempt at making an android, right? Yeah. I don't mean lore. I mean just he was going to do this and so he ends up leaving the Federation kind of in shame and he goes and like, you know, changes his name and goes to the other planet and then starts mm-hmm. secretly building androids again. Right. And that's where mm-hmm. we get lore mm-hmm. and data and maybe some others. We don't know. I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. No, you're right. All right. Yeah. So he tried to build a robot or an android and failed. Mm-hmm. But Graves doesn't seem to have ever done what he said he was going to do. Mm. He's on yeah. the verge yeah. of it the whole time. 
And it's right. and and so for that he gets he gets a planet and he gets an assistant and he gets all kinds of like respect. He gets mad props from the galaxy. Everybody's like, "Oh man, this, this guy's so intelligent! How intelligent? Well, so intelligent he hasn't even tried to do what he said he's going to do yet." <laughs> well, because everybody we, knows we, that way lies shame. Well, we, <laughs> we, we know that that's something he was working on, but there may have been other things that he came up with that there were totally been. brilliant. Well, because he apparently taught Sung everything he knew. Yeah, and we yeah. know how well that went for Doctor. S- <laughs> hmm. I'm a little, I'm a tiny bit confused by, by uh, the motivations around graves in this episode. I guess. Yeah. Hey, Starfleet. My scientific endeavor is all about getting my manufactured intelligence into a human body. So where is my bleeping planet? Oh, Ken. Oh, Ken. I, I th- from the minute I started watching this episode and taking notes, and I said it at the beginning of this episode, too, I just, I thought that I could step out of this episode just, <laughs> just to have a recording of me going, and now here's Ken, and let you go. Because as soon as we introduce the idea that this is an intellect being transferred into a machine... yeah. I just thought, ladies and gentlemen, the Ken Ray show. Mm. Here we go. And and you were just and you were going to go to it with this episode. I could certainly see where you would think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like there were actually episodes of the original series that treated it better than this. And I'm not saying I'm not saying whether it's a good episode or a bad episode or anything like that yet. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like there was a, there was a bit of a hodgepodge going on in some of this stuff. But there are real points I think to discuss here. Yeah. Um. Sadly, none of them actually involved the whole transferring yourself to a machine thing. Well, it was funny. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I watched this, I thought, oh, yeah. OK, oh. well, what are little girls made of? And there are other places where we get to explore this idea. But does this episode really do that? Not so much. Yeah. I don't think. Although, yeah. I mean, there were some interesting sort of personality things. So, like, they have the whole thing with data, right? Mm-hmm. I found Troy's delineation um, about the two personalities in data, the whole our data thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Um, the viewer knows that uh, Dr. Graves, is it Dr. Graves or Dr. Grave? It's Graves. Dr. Graves, yeah. yeah okay, so Graves' world, party time, excellent. <laughs> Graves' world is not possessive. It's actually one word, I, I, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we know that Dr. Graves has taken over data. We as viewers mm-hmm. do. Uh, Picard seems at the end of act... I can't remember if it's the end of Act 3 or end of Act 4. He seems to be hitting on the idea that this is what's happened. I think he says something like, of course. And Troy Mm -hmm. says, what? You know, because Troy's slow in this episode. (laughs) Right. And and Picard says, "Uh, nothing, go ahead. And so then we come back to the next act and Picard's like, I'm worried about what's happening with data. So he's not even suspecting. He's not even stating a suspicion at this point. Right. Mm. So nobody knows that Dr. Graves has taken over data. Right. Yeah. But because what's happening is different, it's wrong. Now, we've hit on this idea that maybe what happened with Data is he felt a a familial bond with Dr. Graves, who, as far as everybody knows, has died. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then, you know, suffering that loss, which, I mean, he suffered loss before, but he knew Tasha and he knew Tasha as well. Mm-hmm. But there was no there was no familial thing, really. There was camaraderie, right. but there was no right. there was no lineage, let's say. 
so I mean, they're hitting on the possibility that maybe something in his programming has changed, right? Mm-hmm. But that change is that change is wrong. Yeah, which I found kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, like yeah. we don't know what's going to happen with him, but we do know that we like him the way that he was. Mm-hmm. And so, even before we know that somebody has taken over his body, w- w- this has to stop. Now, it turns out it's good that they decide that because somebody has taken over his body. And so it does have to stop. But, I mean, really, all they knew was that he was going through a personality change. Yeah. And, and they so really in a, in a different timeline and in a parallel universe, Data's natural evolution based on his programming, makeup and his response to stimulus is that he could just turn into a jerk. Quite possibly. He could just, he could just turn into an egotistical jerk right but then yeah. they don't even like figure out how to deal with that there's like okay well we need to mm-hmm. we need to turn him back the way he was yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we don't like this data we like the yeah data. and and there's kind of the the presumption and you're a machine and we can do that we we can fix you to make you the way you used to be well that, or we can figure out what's wrong to that, make you the way you used to be that to me was one of the most amazing things that troy said in this episode she uh, mm-hmm. she says you know that she hopes that the only thing wrong with the android is that he's just suffering a loss that has stirred emotions so deep that nobody knew that he had them. Right, right. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's the loss of, of, of Graves that's, uh, you know, changing him fundamentally. And she yeah. says, oh, I hope that's all. Yeah, <laughs> right. Really? Right, because really? we, we could find that part and cut it out of him. Yeah, I guess you know? so, or just, yeah. you know, just, you know, say the magic incantation that reboots him back to, does he run like, in a, like, a, like, a, like versions like they do on a Mac? <laughs> he might. He, can do like, he might. Like time machine. He has his own yeah. special time machine that you can put him back in. Yeah, you could just go back and and restore him from the day before, which, yeah. which they kind of do by the end of the episode. He he forgets everything that happened. Well, they don't do that. That happens. No, no, no. Yeah. no it, it does happen though. Yeah, Doctor yeah. Ira. Doctor Ira does that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I. I started to try to look at this episode to see if it was trying to say something about the difference between humanity and machine life. Um, because I feel like the original series tried to do that many times, mm-hmm. but I'm like you, I watched this episode thinking, okay, here's the moment where they're going to say something. But really what it just came down to was Picard battling the will of Graves because Graves took over. He usurped this this other being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, from early on, he said um, I, when Graves was sort of interrogating Data uh, about desire. And I thought, OK, well, are we saying something about that? Could we say that desire then is the thing that separates human life from machine life. And uh, I thought it was interesting that Graves described Data's existence as a kind of purgatory. You, you're alive, but dead. And you, you, don't, you may have wants, but you don't really have a burning desire for anything. Um, but then Jordy comes back around later and he says, Data wants to be human so bad he can taste it. Yeah. Um, which I, maybe is... Jordy inferring a bit much about data. Well, but Graves is doing that as well, though. He's projecting all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it must be hell for you. It must be terrible for you to know that you'll never know and uh, and uh, not really feel and mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. And and things don't jive with what we know about data. 
yeah. <laughs> to yeah, this yeah, point, yeah. right? So, so uh, Graves asked Data, uh, do you know what desire is? And Data starts to give him a textbook answer. And then Graves says, no, 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 no. Do you know what desire is? And Data yeah. says, no, I don't. Well, except that we've known of Data's desire to be human since encounter at Farpoint. He mm-hmm. practices whistling because it's a human thing, and he wants to do it. He's gotten really good at it by this episode. Well, <laughs> right. I, I'm sorry. Actually, it's Graves that can do Graves, that. Yeah. yeah. So I guess maybe Data still needs to learn, right? Yeah. And, and uh, Jordy and Troy act in the prologue as if, as if Data's interest in being more human is a new thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also weird. I mean, there's so much stuff that just kind of got jammed in here, and I apologize. My notes are a little scattered. Uh, there's also this weird thing of uh, Troy does not pick up on data in terms of feelings. Right. The way she did with Moriarty. Right. Until Graves is in data. But even then, she doesn't pick up on it immediately. She picks up on it when it becomes like burning jealousy, seething rage and jealousy, right? Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't even necessarily have to do with her being Betazoid. That just has to do with her sort of being, you know, awake on the <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Because anybody could see that coming. Yes. You would think so. Yes. You would yeah. think so. And yet nobody seems to until, until mm-hmm. you know, she does. Right. I don't know. There's, there's stuff that it seems like a lot of projection. Why does Graves see tragedy in Data's walking without feeling? And would he feel yeah. the same way, you know, this, like, is it part of his whatever? Is it part of the Darnays? Is that what it's called? I the, yeah, uh, Darnays. Darnays, Dar- okay. Darnays. So does he, like, when he's yeah. in a room by himself, does he look at a table and go, oh, it's so tragic, you just sit there without feeling? <laughs> no, right. Right. Because, right. I mean, he's he's assuming an awful lot about data, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, he's hey, he's also assuming an awful lot about Kareen as well. I mean, oh, and this yeah. this kind of goes back to sort of the the ego driven life that he has. And uh, again, this if we describe it as this schizoid personality disorder, mm-hmm. he goes around assuming that he knows what is best, and he doesn't actually connect with the emotional lives of other people. He is purely driven by what he wants and what he needs. Um, she says uh, at the end, uh, Kareen, I won't let you put me in a machine, which indicates to me that, you know, the problem here is Graves' single-minded drive. I mean, his his ego has assumed that he knows what's best for her. He also assumes he knows what's best for Data, which is for Data to not be there anymore, <laughs> you know? Well, I don't think he thinks it's best for Data to not be there anymore. I just think he thinks it's best for him for Data to not for be Data there For Data to anymore. not be there anymore, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just – and he actually – I mean, he actually got fairly – it's weird for a guy who has been working on molecular cybernetics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, for him to say, um, I know who should live and what – must die. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. So, like, yeah. dude, you're you're that what now? <laughs> what if yeah. somebody else? What if somebody else comes along and they're like, oh well, look at this. We found the we found the original the the, the first Vulcan, not the first Vulcan. What's his name? Oh, uh, uh, Sarek. Yes. You're, you're thinking about um, yeah, the father of Vulcan logic. That's that's no, what you're looking Sarek for, was right? uh, Sarek was uh, oh oh Surak. I'm sorry, Surak. Yeah, see, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's the it's the vowels that'll get you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if they suddenly find Surak and say, oh wow, well, it, and and they caught in a transporter buffer or under mm-hmm. a rock, and we didn't know, but he's going to die in like a minute. Hey, Data Graves, I know, <laughs> but he's the the premier Vul. He's like the Vulcanist Vulcan there is. Yeah, so, so yeah. you're gonna have to shuffle along, pal. It, how cavalier he was about machine intelligence when what he's been working on is theoretically that 
Although, has right. he really just been working the whole time on how to get himself into a machine? I mean, is that, has that really that, been his life's work? What it seemed like to me, because again, he, he's a guy who doesn't really know or care about <laughs> other people. So, is this why they gave him a planet? They're like, no, 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 you go yeah. stay by yourself. And as soon as you are able to get yourself into a machine, call you us. You let us know. <laughs> yeah. Because we are so going to turn that machine off in a second. Right. We can. I mean, exactly. was, that the, was that the plan? I don't know. Yeah. It's a, yeah, kind of bizarre. Yeah. I do. Have how, many, how, how many times in school with a young Dr. Graves, his classmates say, hey, did, does this guy have an off switch? Because <laughs> I'd love to find it. Right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So is it going to be solar powered? No, no, no. Don't be solar powered. No, it's a plug into oh. the wall because solar, nah, solar's yeah. no good. Make sure <laughs> yeah. it plugs into the wall yeah. and uh, and tape it down because we would certainly hate to trip on it and power mm-hmm. you down. Mm-hmm. I did have one other question about data. Yeah. He doesn't understand desire. But yeah. he is conscious of his own mortality. But he's more than conscious of his own mortality. He, it's not that he knows. It's mm. not that he knows that he can die. He gets that right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he actually, when he's telling, you know, just random whoever that he's got an off switch, and I know it's his grandpa, but still, yeah, he he actually says in a way that's like dying. It is a prospect that I do not enjoy contemplating. Yeah. 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 Um. I. I, I don't know. I mean, if I really tried to parse this and and try to separate what data is saying or maybe what Graves is meant to infer from it. The the desire thing I thought was very specific and that what Graves is talking about is this burning, driving, single-minded desire that, that data may not, still not be able to understand. Data has wants. Data has intellectual desires. You know, again, I go back to this position that I have that Data knows intellectually that he cannot actually be human, but what he can do is immerse himself and try to assimilate as much of human experience as he can to be almost indistinguishable from human. But he knows that he is not. He is a constructed machine. Um, And at best, he can absorb, you know, uh, uh, personality and intellect and an original thought that humans have. So there, there is all of that. I think the prospect of an on-off switch and him contemplating or not enjoying contemplating the idea that he can be switched off, I mean, that may just simply be a kind of survival instinct. Um, And you don't even need to call it an instinct, but a a survival subroutine that he's Mm -hmm. got. That that Dr. Soon can say, hey, it is better for you to be on than off, (laughs) you know, so whatever you can do to protect it, this goes back to the first law of robotics, you know, it's like whatever you can do to protect yourself or I'm sorry, that's the third law of robotics. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Geek. Sorry, I got I got I got to get them in order. I got to get one, two and three in order because they they are very specifically designed not to contradict. But, yeah, you know, data is given this sort of sense that he has to protect himself and survive even if survival just means being switched on hmm all right some of that seems (laughs) well no some of that seems to read this desire to me yeah i don't know again it felt like it it felt like well it it felt sort of hodgepodgey like i say well but i mean i think that that's You know, by the same token, that's sort of the unfortunate thing about this episode, but that is the interesting thing about data is is that there's a lot of gray area with data. And that's why data is so much fun to talk about, because you can't just dismiss him uh, as, you know, as Graves was trying to do in this episode as just a machine that can be turned on and off at the will of a human. 
Picard comes in and what I loved happening here is the beginning of, of this idea of Picard defending data. We may very well get to revisit that in an upcoming episode. <laughs> Maybe we will. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting conundrum. Um, how can you trust a machine that says it's doing fine? <laughs> I thought that was a great moment. You know, it was like waking up Hal 9000 and Hal saying I'm perfectly functional and all my circuits are fine. You know, it's great. Yeah. No, it, it, they are, except for the point where you try to kill the astronauts on board. Oh, you don't even do that. <laughs> don't, don't even don't do even that. Do that was his programming. That was, was he was pro- programmed yeah, to do know, that. that he was he was functioning exactly as he was programmed to function. I'm just saying, there's a lot about data that they may not know. And oh, I, 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 I was talking about Hal. I'm sorry. No, I, I know, I know. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think that data will try to kill the people on board the Enterprise. Fingers not, crossed. Not, not on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Um, I felt like this was an episode kind of like uh, the neutral zone where Next Gen was trying to take this like high road approach to death. You know, Picard says I, that he understands Dr. Graves' fear of death. Um, but he says, you know, every man has his time, every man, but you have cheated. You have extended your life at the expense of another. And I did kind of think a little bit about the neutral zone waking up those three frozen 20th century relics and and then kind of lecturing them <laughs> at least not to their face at least amongst the enlightened 24th century enterprise crew like oh they just they just didn't realize that what they needed to do was die because really that's the natural order of things you know we we know so much better than that that's uh, i see i still don't think that was the point though I don't think it was the point of the episode, but it sure as hell came across like that. I mean, well, they, it, they have lines in that episode that basically say that. Yeah, but they also get, I mean, remember it was, um, was it Offenhaus? Was that the mm-hmm. guy's name? Wow. Yeah, yeah. How did, oh, wow. How, what yeah. the heck? Seriously? Who are you? I know. I can't remember the first Vulcan, <laughs> but I remember the dumb business guy. Yeah, so right. Offenhaus, I mean, did actually end up, you know, moving the plot along. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we we got things from that episode, but we don't have to go back and talk about that episode. Yes, yeah, they yeah. were sort of dismissive of those characters, but each one of those characters kind of stepped in and saved the day a bit. Well, not LQ Sonny. Um, I can't remember his last name. Clemens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Picard, at some point, though, he does seem to be a little bit in awe of what Graves had accomplished and, and stunned and maybe a little saddened that he has to tear down the bridge between man and machine. And that's where we get that quote from Shakespeare's sonnet number 18. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. Um, What do you make of using that particular sonnet? Because that is the sonnet that begins, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? It's it's a love poem. He does say at one point, Picard does say to um, the Graves that this is not what he meant to do, that data coming by was a happy accident, but it gave him more than he ever thought. It's mm-hmm. possible that what he's saying is it was Graves' love for Corrine. Although you can debate whether it was love or, you know, infatuation mm-hmm. or, or um, something like that. Um, that it was uh, Graves' love for Corrine that made him do something that otherwise he wouldn't have done. 
Yeah. Except they don't get an indication that he would not have done this otherwise. Well, that's the thing. And maybe that's a sort of uh, a shortcoming of the story the way it is. Because if you do go by the, the context of, of the Shakespearean sonnet, the idea of love making something immortal, great, or, or love making one see their lover as immortal, you know, um, great. But I agree with you. I, I didn't really get the Korean love story other than just a creepy old man. Well, no, she know. was she was lovely. I mean, it, it, oh, she was. You she was. But a, you don't have to be a creepy old man to you know to 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 find her attractive. I don't. Oh no, no. And hey, I'm not saying that he didn't find her attractive. I'm not saying that I didn't find her attractive because I think she was lovely. But you didn't build the idea of this truly being a love story. You no. just built it as like a weird infatuation. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling that as much as we're talking about it, our summation of Dr. Graves mm-hmm. is going to be much shorter. It, it may very well be. <laughs> so is it then just shades of what are little girls made of, but not as good as what are little girls made of? Because I kept thinking, you know, the, the, here's this this amazing technology where you can take a consciousness of a human being and put it into a computer. And wow, that is incredible if only Kirk hadn't destroyed the machine that could already do that a hundred years ago, where you, you stand on the, the disco dance platform, you spin around and boom, there's your consciousness indistinguishable in a robot body. Um, so I, I wondered a little bit if, if we hadn't already been down this road before and made more interesting story of it with what a little girl is made of. Well, I mean, I feel like to answer that question is going to jump ahead a tiny bit. It feels it feels like what we've got here is just like the Frankenstein story in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, th- this is he's a mad scientist. I mean, yeah. is, is really yeah. what it comes down to. In fact, it's not even as good as a Frankenstein story. He's just a mad scientist, and and it's not his science that's mad. He is a scientist who is crazy. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, so right. I mean, I mean, that's the cool thing about. I mean, Dr. Roger Corby, who I love, Dr. Roger Corby, I mean, has this idea that's sort of driving him and he doesn't see like the folly in his idea. Now, whether there actually is folly or not, that's a whole other thing. Could it be done a different way? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. There's folly in what Dr. Roger Corby is doing and he doesn't see it because he's so driven by science. Uh, Graves is is a scientist who's also just, you know, made of folly. I mean, he's like, yeah, you know, yeah. he's like, oh, me. I mean, that's, that's pretty much his thing. Like, really? Roger Corby was, oh, science, you know? And, yeah, 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 yeah. And Graves is like, yeah. Graves. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, look, it's me in a machine. Hey, look, it's me in another machine. It's, you know, of course you will love me. I actually want to go back to really quickly this one thing you said about Corrine. Uh, she actually struck me as a tiny bit short-sighted here. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me. Okay. Says the guy who has no problem thinking about putting himself in a robot body one day. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm not going to let you put me in a robot body. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I'm Graves, I'm like, well, honey, hold on a second. I mean, we're talking like 50, 60 years from now. You're right. fine right now. Okay? <laughs> right. It's just right. when you're about to die, I'm thinking right. then, because it's going to take me a few years to build you a robot body anyway. It's not like I got one mm-hmm. waiting over there. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't have one waiting over there, Corrine. Don't worry. It'll take some time. I mean, her right. whole, you know, no, I want to live my life. You're not going to put me in a machine. I, I, I mean, she was uh, sort of doing an A-B proposition there, and I don't think it was that. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, she could have given it a little bit more thought. Well, uh, uh, it might be a little horrifying, though. If, if you've yeah. not spent years, you know, sort of playing with the idea of putting yourself in a robot body, as some yeah. people have, then it might be kind of a horrific thing. You know? Well, and, and see, here's the thing. Again, you go back to the idea that this is not somebody that she was deeply in love with presenting this idea to her. This yeah. is the creepy old man that she'd been stuck on a planet with alone since yeah. she was a little girl. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's, it's not like Sargon. Wait, since she's a little girl, what? Yeah. What is remember, they, they, they said at the beginning of the show that her father had died. Her father worked for Graves, oh, and he had right. died when she was much younger. Yeah. Wow. Is there no DHS in the 24th century? Not DHS. That's Department of Homeland Security. What's... what's, what's, what's <laughs> oh, oh, DCFS. What? Department of uh, Childhood and Family Services. Yeah, something like that, sure. Yeah, yeah. Are there no yeah, social workers that. in the 24th century? I guess that's I know, what right? I'm saying. <laughs> we need that. <laughs> We need what, that what happened? Her father died? How old is she? Eight? Oh, eight? Uh, please. It's just, like, uh, hey, she's on Graves World. What could go wrong? <laughs> it's just her and the yeah. significantly older man. That man's brilliant. <laughs> Didn't you know that? <laughs> so, also, so that, kind of a jerk. We really don't want to go there unless we right. have to. Yeah. We'll just chalk this up as a non-emergency exactly. right now. Um, one last thing I want to hit on. All right. She says, Ira put himself in the computer. Yeah. All right, in, in the Enterprise computer, in that little lab where Data yeah. was uh, getting the, the test done. And then I thought, okay, Ira's consciousness. Nope. Then, no, no, no. Well, it says uh, you give the impression that his personality is gone. Oh, yes. And his knowledge becomes part of the Enterprise computer. This all happens in the last 60 seconds of the show. <laughs> yep. And this seems like an ending where I went, well, wait a minute, where... Where's the sequel? Where's the rest of the story here? Because just a couple of weeks ago, we've already seen that the Enterprise computer can outperform data in many ways. And it can make these essentially living beings right. with, with thoughts and, yes, desires and motivations. And I kept thinking, what is to stop the Enterprise computer now from making a Dr. Graves avatar on the holodeck that has some form of consciousness, or has some desire to continue his work. So it's very convenient. They say, oh, we just, we got the intellect, but we, we, we just get to dispense with all that nasty personality part of him. <laughs> and we just cut out, cut out the part we don't like. And then I thought, this is like one floor of the cuckoo's nest. You know, this is like, well, we, you know, we'll keep him around, but we just want him in a way that he can't ever talk to us again. Once again, a human, living life as a robot or computer, fails to work on Star Trek. Color me surprised. All right, Ken, we've had a lot of fun at the expense of Dr. Ira Graves, and I think that he would be very upset about that and find us both uh, juvenile and anti-intellectual. But in this case... I don't know. We spent like 45 minutes talking about him. Talk about what a jerk he was. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't think he would hear that. I think what no, he would hear is Graves. Graves. That's all. Graves. Right. Gra- oh, Graves World. I like that. Yes. Mm, good, yeah, good. yeah. I like the sound yeah, of that. Plenty of me in this episode. I'm fine with it. Uh, Go ahead, boys. But, uh, but we get the last word here. So um, I will pose it to you. Does the episode, The Schizoid Man, 
hold up. No. It's, I mean, it's got some, I love uh, the actor whose name I don't know. I never know his name. I'm always happy to see him. But I'm, I, William Morgan Shepard. William Morgan Shepard. Thank you. Yep. I love the actor. I always love yeah, seeing him yeah. do stuff. That's neat. He's, a, he's sort of a fun uh, guy. Where, the, where this uh, episode works for me is just in thinking about all of the things that they might have done. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it would need, I mean, it, there are two or three wonderful novels in here, it seems to me. Not necessarily Star Trek novels, but just novels in general. If they didn't already have a plan for how Data was going to be, if we weren't going to make Data the Tin Man for, you know, however many seasons Star Trek is going to be on, if mm. we if we didn't set it up that he's always going to want to be human, wow. I mean, it actually would have been mind-blowing to, like, like a few weeks into the second season, do a complete personality change for Data. And I don't mean, well, now he's Dr. Graves. I mean, mm-hmm. now he is this sort of spliced-together thing. Right. Which mm-hmm. which honestly, he should have been from the whole, as you mentioned earlier, from the whole encounter at Farpoint that well, not encounter at Farpoint, but from the whole thing with the crystalline entity where it turns out he's made of all the different uh, personalities of all the different colonists. Right. I mean, it would have been really interesting to see like that to see how that blending played out or mm-hmm. how that worked. Um, you have a chance of a sentient ship which is something that happens in a lot of different science fiction, almost never happens in Star Trek. And of course, when it does, it's got to be stopped ASAP. <laughs> right. But you've got something close to me. You've got, you've got the idea of a, of a sentient ship sort of like waiting off the page here. Um, and sadly, it's going to stay off the page. I mean, what you get is sort of the usual thing. Life prolongation is bad. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a Frankenstein thing going as well. Um, it's... It's got interesting ideas, and certainly we found a lot to talk about with it, but that's because these tend to be the kinds of topics that jazz us, especially when, you know, the topics aren't handled particularly well on the screen. At least that's, <laughs> at least that's my feeling. What about you? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm pretty much right on the same page with you. I, I love the ideas in this episode, and I, I kind of liked having the cantankerous, crazy old doctor. Um, I just felt like we were getting so close to really getting to go deep about data and what makes him tick and whether or not he's alive and what kind of rights he has. And I know that I'm getting ahead of myself. I know that we will likely be able to talk about those topics again. <laughs> right. Um, but I wish that there were more here. I wish that there was a little more of a groundwork laid here because, as you say, what we get is the Frankenstein story. We get the mad scientist who is mad because he is mad. He he is just crazy because he is crazy and he is single-minded and ego-driven and he doesn't care who he steps on in his drive to to do what he's doing. So so there's something here about, you know, an unchecked desire, an unchecked drive. Um, It reminded reminded me of Cat's Paw. Honestly, oh, yeah. Okay. Cat's okay. Paw because I remember I'm sorry. You saying, well, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's okay. I remember you saying that Cat's Paw was supposed to be the Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. This, this struck me as a mad scientist story. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And mm-hmm. somebody said, let's do a mad scientist story. Now, I don't know that that's actually what they did. Like, oh, go write me a mad scientist story. But what they came mm-hmm. back with was that. And in that respect, it, I mean, it, it, it simply boiled down to something as simple as Cat's Paw to me. Not the haunted yeah. house thing, but just sort of the, uh, well, let's... Let's do Frankenstein or let's do, you know, the fiendish Dr. Fives or whatever. Let's do, yeah. let's, let's do, let's just crazy guy does something bad. It'll be fine in the end. 
it would have been very interesting to see these two stories develop separately. So the original story, Core Dump, where they're in on the idea of helping this doctor to move his consciousness. And then the other story where you've got Data's leading personalities coming out when they're around this woman. So in a different production schedule, when those happened on their own separately and fully, we may have had a very different result. But I I agree that what we get here is, I, I, I mean, here's the thing. You and I can say that it doesn't hold up. Now, I don't think it's a bad episode. I don't think it's, it's just unwatchable or, or not entertaining, there's interesting stuff happening here, yeah. and certainly the performances are good, and, and it's got a lot going for it, but it just seems like kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, there are a couple of inconsistencies that I don't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, the interest that uh, Picard does take in Kareen, I know there's mm-hmm. nothing um, I know there's nothing untoward about it, mm-hmm. but he normally doesn't. Yeah, He has yeah, to yeah, in this yeah. episode because that has to upset, you know, Graves and that has to, you know, set that whole ball rolling. But normally that would be a that would be the highest level that might go as Riker, I think. Yeah, right. You know, right. and and so that 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 inconsistency bothered me. And that may sound like a small thing, but if you're going to hinge the whole show on it, maybe make it something that actually might happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, what about the message? Um, well, unfortunately, I think I said it a minute ago. I mean, it's, yeah. it tends to be the life prolongation is bad deal again. I, I yeah. think, I don't know. I mean, there's the whole idea that, what was the line from Picard? Which, um, uh, no being not, is so important yeah. that he can usurp the rights of another. There you go. That's, I mean, that's a fantastic message, no matter what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what you're talking about, if you're not talking about a guy replacing a robot brain with his own brain, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> which we talk about often, yeah, but, we, we yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the idea yeah. that the idea that somebody would say, look, no person is so important that somebody else's rights should be Im- impinged or impugned or, or, or trampled over or whatever. It's a great sentiment. Uh, almost never happens on the planet that we live on currently. Yeah. But, you know. I, I mean, I like that. I, that's not a message of the whole show, I don't think, though, because this is really Picard in defense of his one guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, if you had like a whole, well, I don't know. I, I, I like that. So there's another potential message in there. It's kind of one of those gem lines that I don't think the whole show actually hinges on. What about you? Yeah, I, I do think that that is the best line of the whole show. And if there is an inferred message here about don't mess with mother nature or beware of life prolongation or however you want to put it, I think that's unfortunate because Star Trek very often shows great technologies that prolong life in a very positive and beneficial way that we would all hope for today. So um, there's a little bit of a mixed message sometimes coming from the show. Um, There was another line that actually Graves has when he's talking to Data. He says, without heart, man is meaningless, which is a good line, but it's coming from the crazy guy who has no heart. (laughs) So, you know, because a guy with heart then would not allow his own ego to trample over the rights of somebody else. Um, But taken out of context, it's a perfectly good line. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, maybe those two lines hold up quite well. Yeah. No, it's not, it, as you say, it's not unwatchable. It, it was, it was uneven. I mean, the show was a bit uneven. I kind of wish there had been something more that happened because once we realize so early on that it is mm-hmm. Graves, then it's sort of like, wow, how can nobody else pick up on this? It takes a little while. I mean, no, it's not terrible, but it's, it's, it's not great. 
Well, uh, a little bit of business before we wrap it up. Um, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Please find more at Roddenberry.com. And uh, for even more exciting Star Trek podcasts, please check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. And be sure to join us again next week for Unnatural Selection. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. On your downtime this weekend, be sure to stop by Holodeck 4, where the superintelligence of Dr. Moriarty, and the disembodied spirit of Dr. Ira Graves, present Neil Simons, The Odd Couple. And transmission. <laughs>